Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, the very first chapter. John chapter 1, starting at verse 43. John 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. In an article for BBC Earth, the biologist Mike Shanahan writes that there is no other plant in human history that has captured imaginations quite like the fig tree. He writes, fig trees feature in every major religion and have influenced kings and queens, scientists and soldiers. Wherever fig trees go, grow, they seem to feature in that culture's creation stories and in their folk tales. In India, the Buddha is said to have attained enlightenment under a fig tree. In Roman mythology, the infant twins Romulus and Remus, the storied founders of ancient Rome, were nursed to health by a wolf and a woodpecker under a fig tree. Their fruit was a main source of food for ancient people, which may be why these trees were symbols of power and life. And their big, thick canopy of leaves would provide shade from the hot sun, somewhere a bit more comfortable to sit and rest, which may be why these trees were often places for prayer and meditation and study. In the Bible, there are a number of times where fig trees pop up in the story. It's not always easy to nail, nail down what the, the meaning or the significance is, if in fact there is any special significance at all. In the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve make their first clothes out of fig leaves. Maybe there's not any special significance except that's just what was around. That's what they had 
In Judges 9, the olive tree, the fig tree, and the vine are all characters in a parable. But as with other parables, the fig trees here are not just really fig trees. They represent something else. And the prophets, fig trees are seen as a place of peace and security. When everyone sits under their own fig tree or eats of their own fig tree, that means there is peace and security in the land. Or you may recall that Jesus curses a fig tree. Jesus also tells a parable about a fig tree. And in the text we read this morning, we find Nathanael under a fig tree. It's not always clear if there is some special significance to the fig tree. Is it a symbol for some greater meaning or just part of the daily landscape? Well, in Nathaniel's case, there's not really a clear answer to this question. One commentator writes that the fig tree is of no particular significance whatsoever in this story. On the other hand, someone else claims that to be under a fig tree is actually a figure of speech. It means learning at the feet of a rabbi. So that would mean that Philip calls Nathaniel away from another rabbi to come follow Jesus. Or maybe if we carry through the meaning of a fig tree in the prophets, then Nathaniel is really being called out from under his peaceful and secure life. Or maybe he just needed a shady spot to pray and study. Now, even though the precise meaning of the tree itself is a little ambiguous, what we notice is that the invitation remains the same. Come and see, Philip says. Now, this story takes place at the beginning of Jesus' ministry on earth. He had just been baptized by John the Baptist, and now he was gathering people who would become his disciples or his students. And already Jesus is defying normal expectations. Usually the students would seek out the teacher or the rabbi, like eager high school students researching and applying for universities. But Jesus has reversed this process. He seeks out Philip and says, come follow me. Philip is understandably excited that he has been chosen by a rabbi. And somehow, we don't know the details, having been chosen by this rabbi, he comes to realize that this is not just any teacher. This is God's promised Messiah. Of course, he wants to share his excitement with a friend. So he finds Nathaniel, who apparently is a bit of an academic. Nathaniel loves to study the scriptures. It seems that's what he's doing when Philip finds him. He's sitting there under a fig tree, meditating on the scriptures, maybe sitting at the feet of another rabbi, learning all about the scriptures, or learning from a place of relative security. I mean, whatever the fig tree here means, it paints a picture of Nathaniel as a true Israelite who loves the law of the Lord and the prophets and the wisdom writings. So when his excitable friend Philip runs up to him with wide eyes and short on breath, Nathaniel is skeptical, like your stereotypical academic type. 
Nathaniel, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. In other words, we have found God's promised Messiah, and he's from some backwater town, and his dad's a guy you've never heard of. <laughs> Philip catches his breath as Nathaniel sits quietly doing the math. Something is not adding up. Nathaniel is quite familiar with the one Moses wrote about in the law and the one the prophets wrote about. So he tries to temper the excitement of his friend. Calm down, Philip. You have obviously been taken for a fool. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Surely Nathaniel knows that the prophet Micah said the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. Not Nazareth. Nazareth was nowhere still. It wasn't mentioned anywhere in the Jewish scriptures. It certainly was not the hometown of the Messiah. And while we might know that Jesus was, in fact, born in Bethlehem, apparently Jesus did not introduce himself that way. Surely Nathaniel knows that the prophet Isaiah said the Messiah would come from the line of David, not some no-name guy, Joseph. And while we might know that Jesus was, in fact, a descendant in the line of David, apparently Jesus did not introduce himself that way. He's just Jesus from Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip senses that his excitement is not quite as contagious as he hoped it would be. So maybe Nathaniel will just have to see for himself. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Oh, Nathaniel, just, just come and see. There are those of us here today who can probably relate a little to the skeptical side of Nathaniel, especially when it comes to the ways we expect God to show up in the world. You may know all about sitting in the shade of a fig tree, studying the Bible closely, praying, sitting at the feet of preachers, or teachers, or listening to podcasts about the Bible, or doing your daily devotions with your family. You have a pretty good handle on theology and what you can expect God to do and not to do. So if someone runs up to you with wild excitement, claiming something about God that is unexpected, your skeptic's antenna probably shoots right up. Tom Long is a minister in the Presbyterian Church in the United States. And he tells a story about being this kind of skeptic. He was leading a seminar for pastors in Atlanta, Georgia. During one afternoon, they had a break just long enough, he decided he'd just run out and get a haircut really quick. So he went looking for one of those quick drop-in salons with a $10 haircut. He found one and sat down in the chair. The woman cutting his hair said, I don't recognize you. Have you ever been here before? He said, oh, no, no, I'm just a... Presbyterian minister, just around for a bit to lead a seminar for some other pastors. Well, her face brightened up, and she said, oh, I'm a Christian too. I'm a member of Creflo Dollar's church. Now, we might not all be familiar with who Creflo Dollar is, but he's one of those megachurch televangelist types who preaches the kind of God-wants-you-to-be-rich theology. He drives a black Rolls Royce, has a corporate jet, and millions of dollars in real estate. 
So, just like Nathaniel, sensing the somewhat untempered excitement of the woman cutting his hair, Tom Long starts to do the math in his head, and things aren't looking good. He thinks to himself, I'm already getting a bad haircut, and now I'm going to get some bad theology as well. <laughs> Can anything good come from Creflo Dollars Church? Philip's invitation to Nathaniel became God's invitation to Tom that day. Oh, Tom, just come and see. Come and see, Philip says to his skeptical friend. Nathaniel eventually agrees to just go have a look at this new teacher. They leave the fig tree. Nathaniel assumes they're leaving behind the rational world as well. And Jesus sees them coming. Nathaniel's body language must betray his skepticism. His body is tense. His eyes are narrow as he scans Jesus up and down. His body language won't let him hide how he really feels. So maybe it's with a knowing chuckle that Jesus said, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Well, it's more than just a comment on his body language, though. That's a pretty clear reference to the first person to be named Israel. That's Jacob of Genesis fame. He was known as a deceiver. God gave him a new name, Israel. None of this is lost on Nathaniel, the Bible college student. Jesus calls him a true Israelite who is not a deceiver, unlike Jacob. Some commentators even suggest that Jesus makes this parallel to Jacob because he knows that Nathanael had been studying this story under the fig tree. And by the way, the reference to the angels at the end, that's another reference to Jacob's life. So Jesus makes two allusions to Jacob in his encounter with Nathanael. I don't know, maybe Nathanael was studying Jacob. But Nathanael is caught off guard. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked Jesus. Well, I saw you, Nathaniel. I saw you while you were still under the fig tree. Before Philip even told you about me, I saw you. For Jesus, to see someone is to know someone. I know you because I saw you. Philip had invited Nathaniel to come and see the one Nathaniel's ears may have rung with the words from the Psalms, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Nathaniel responds, Teacher, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, this is not the cool, collected, measured response that Nathaniel's friends have come to expect from him. He seems to have caught whatever excitement bug Philip had. Perhaps Philip needed to extend the invitation to come and see because to really see Jesus is to know who he is. But of course, they would see much more from Jesus in the coming days. Jesus tells Nathaniel, you believe that I'm the Messiah because I told you I saw you. But just wait. You'll see far greater things than that. 
Jesus turns to address the rest of his growing group of disciples. You all will see an open to heaven, he says, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Here again, it's a pretty direct reference to the life of Jacob. Jacob had a dream that there was a ladder set on earth. The top of it reached to heaven, and the angels of God were going up and down the ladder. So when Jacob woke up from this dream, he said, The Lord is in this place. How awesome is this place? It's none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So Jesus' promise to his disciples here is that in him, the realm of God would be opened. He would be the place where God breaks into the world. In Jesus' baptism, the heavens were torn open. God's own spirit came on Jesus like a dove. And Jesus did miracles throughout his life that told his disciples and that show us what it looks like for the reign of God to break in and interrupt the powers of chaos in the world. And in Jesus' death and resurrection, God sets in motion his plan to redeem the whole creation, to join heaven and earth together when death is put to death, when God's people are raised from the dead, and creation is liberated from its bondage to decay. Come and see. This is more than an invitation to get out from under the fig tree and to meet Jesus for the first time. If that's all it was, I'd feel a little bit silly preaching that to so many people who have been believers for such a long time. But let's make no mistake, it does begin with a personal encounter with the one who sees you and knows you. And if you don't know Jesus, then the invitation to come and see is for you this morning, an invitation to meet Jesus. But that's just the Come and see is a continual invitation to see what it looks like for God's reign to break into the disordered world, for heaven to be open. As Tom Long sat in his barber chair wondering if any good could come from Creflo Dollar's church, God invited him to just come and see. So he played along with what he assumed would be this hairdresser's terrible theology. He said, well, have you got your blessing yet? She said, oh, I've got my blessing all right. Tell me about it, Tom said, expecting her to say something about her Lexus parked outside or her diamond earrings tucked away in her scissor drawer. But instead, she said, two nights a week I get to volunteer in a shelter for battered women. I was one myself, you know, so they trust me, they need me, they know I love them. Tom sat in his chair silently thinking, my goodness, Jesus is on the loose in Creflo Dollar's church. <laughs> Come and see. God showed up at a church that preaches a gospel contrary to the gospel of Christ. God found this $9 an hour haircutter, and by the power of the Spirit, she was given a ministry of trust and compassion to other women. In Christ, heaven has been opened. The reign of God is interrupting the chaos of the world and even our own expectations. 
So as we've celebrated baptism this morning, we've received the invitation again, come and see. Come and see God's work in the life of this child and this family. The same God whose mighty acts we read about in the Bible now claims Oliver as his own. God sees Oliver, and he knows Oliver. In Christ, heaven has been opened, not just so we can go there when we die, but so that we can expect the Spirit of God and the reign of Christ to be at work now, in our midst, even in the life of little Oliver Becker. Thanks be to God. Lord our God, thank you for this, the gift of your word, and the gift of your work in Jesus Christ. Help us now to receive your invitation. Open our eyes that we would be surprised and excited again by the ways you are at work. And by your spirit, would you empower us to join with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.